Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. We're talking about challenging the Western approach to health and wellness and understanding the Japanese approach to health and wellness with Mogami Wellness founder Sahori Okada in this episode of the podcast. I was so interested to speak with Sahori to learn more about the Mogami Wellness framework and some of its four principles of longevity after reading some interesting statistics about longevity in Western cultures versus Japan. We'll dive into those stats later in the episode, but Saori has wonderful insights into some of the differences between the way we approach our health and wellness and the importance it has on startup founders and individuals to recognize and improve their health and overall well-being. Let's get started and learn more about the Mogami Wellness Framework and some key differences we have today in Western society with our approach to health and wellness. So Ori, how are you? Oh, well, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And so Ori, this is going to be a really interesting conversation for me because we're talking a little bit about kind of health and wellness, mental well-being and, and just individual well-being as a whole, but from a different frame of lens that's not necessarily that kind of standard Western wellness that we kind of think of as well. So I'm really excited to kind of have this conversation and, and share those insights. So uh, just to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mogami Wellness and, and what exactly it is that you do and kind of that journey that brought you here? Yeah, absolutely. So Mogami Wellness is is a wellness company that has a mission to empower individuals to achieve sustainable personal wellness lives. And this is done through Japanese wellness and cultural principles. And in terms of my journey, I'll try to keep this short. Um, I'm originally from Japan, and I was born in a place called Aomori. And um, I do have international background, though. So I went, I lived in the States when I was younger. I also went to international school. And then for my undergrad, I studied at the University of Virginia, and I studied business there. And then after I graduated, I worked in New York for about uh, seven years. So I worked in media analytics, uh, which is a little bit different from health and wellness. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed that part of my career. But at the same time, you know, I think there was always a part of me that was interested in health and well-being. And that might be because my family, I come from a family of medical professionals. My father's a doctor, my mother's a nurse, and my sister's also a doctor. And so I think this idea of taking care of yourself was something that I was always passionate about. And for me, that meant I went to school to become a certified wellness coach um, while I was working. Um, but I also was going through a personal health and wellness journey, which I think everyone is. And for me, that was actually where I was hyper-focused on what I looked like. And I had a really strict relationship with exercise and food, and it was really at the detriment of my own mental well-being. And so it really was both a personal as well as a I guess, professional or passion-driven approach. And so um, in 2020, um, you know, the pandemic hit 
And it was very much a moment where I think all of us, including myself, took a moment to think about what I really wanted to do. And so this was when I realized that for me, my path was really to empower individuals in the best way I could do, which was about incorporating my wellness training, uh, as well as my Japanese upbringing, which is a country known for its longevity, and to provide a different way of approaching health and well-being to the Western audience. I love it. That's an interesting journey as well, you know, especially with the family of doctors and things of that nature in the medical field and and then putting kind of your own spin on it. And, and, you know, I love in 2020 kind of trying to figure out exactly what it was that you wanted to do and things of that nature as well. So let's kind of dive into it a little bit and kind of talk about the the problem at hand that you're solving for. And, and one of the things that kind of stands out to me, I always find in well-being, health and wellness, mental health, things of that nature to be very interesting. And on the Western side of things, one of the things that you always hear specifically in America, I won't speak for other countries, but, you know, uh, I remember Andrew Yang was running for for president back in, you know, what, what was that, 2016, mm-hmm. 20, 20, mm-hmm. I think. And, um, you know, he they, they were talking about, you know, America's the greatest country, you know, blah, 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 your typical American political kind of speak and whatnot, right? But Andrew Yang kind of put to the forefront a lot of these issues that were happening, for example, with men in suicides, drug overdoses, and how America's declining in that. And they've actually lost the, this was before the pandemic, but the average length of life actually came down, the average lifespan did. So those were all things that really made me interested. And I was like, huh, well, maybe economically things are good, but clearly there's something going wrong from a, from a mental well-being uh, perspective on that front. So I would love to just kind of hear what you think in general and kind of some of the key differences are between kind of the Western uh, well-being practices and what we have going on. Because I do feel like they kind of lag a little bit behind other countries and things of that nature. And then, you know, kind of compare that to Japan a little bit. And then, of course, we'll get down to the nitty gritty here shortly. But just to kind of give that overview. Yeah. You know, I think when I think about the two problems that I think are main differences that I have observed. The first one is short-term oriented, meaning when you look for, you know, if you're on Instagram, perhaps you'll say lose 20 pounds in 14 days and get instant results. And I find it to be very short-term oriented. And the challenge with that is that it's very attractive And I have definitely fallen into that trap where, you know, I signed up for a program, paid $3,000 to get on a 14-day juice cleanse that said I would lose 20 pounds. And while, you know, you may be able to get a little bit of benefit for two weeks, what, you know, I found from personal experience as well is that it's not going to be sustainable for your own long-term health. And so I think that's one key difference that I've noticed in the Western approach or in America, because we want instant results. But if we look at health and well-being, it's really about daily practices and looking at it from a long-term view. And I think the second main problem or difference that I see is that it's not holistic. And I think it's changing, which is fantastic, where you know, it used to be all about physical well-being and taking care of your body. Now there is such a positive momentum in mental health, which is fantastic. Um, But on top of that, I think something else that we want to consider is taking care of something that's not just your mind, but your soul. And I know sometimes when I say soul, 
people look at me like I'm going to sell them crystals. I'm not. It's really more about understanding that perhaps there's something, you know, people call it consciousness, people call it your purpose, or people call it something else. But it's really about what your heart is trying to do and what it wants to do in life. And I use this approach because in Japan, for example, you have a body that you want to take care of, but you also have a soul that you want to take care of. And when you look at how you want to take care of yourself, it's really holistic. So you're taking a look at how you want to take care of your body, but also how you want to take care of your soul. So in applying it to the States, I think the better way of approaching it is you want to take care of your physical health. You want to take care of your mental health, but you also want to make sure those two balance each other out in both a professional setting, but also a, a personal life setting. A couple things there that kind of popped into my mind as you were kind of speaking about that as well is the instant gratification. I mean, you see that everywhere, If that whether that's a product of marketing and business and, and just kind of capitalizing on that. I don't know. It certainly seems that way, but that's a really good point. Like, I mean, I know people that personally that fall into, you know, what are called like those fad diets or whatever it might be where you might get those instant results, but it's not sustainable because you're kind of cheating the code. And that ultimately what health and wellness is, is a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's an everyday thing, but you're not going to be progressing with instant results. But that's an interesting thing that, yeah, here in America specifically, and, and I'm sure in the UK as well, suffers from that issue a little bit too, where you get that, it's a need that instant gratification, but your health and wellness is something that's long-term and kind of sticks with you every day. So I find that really interesting on that front. Do you know what happened on the, do you know uh, off the top of your head, maybe kind of when, for example, in Japan, well-being in the soul and like you were talking about in that second half, taking care of the soul in addition to the physical, when did that really kind of start from the forefront? And then when do you kind of think that the Western countries kind of started to get a little bit more because I would think it's recent, the Western countries start to get a little bit more into taking care of their their soul and their mind, and the holistic well-being in addition to the physical par- portion of your body. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, something that comes to mind is, you know, the traditional arts. And Japan has three traditional arts with over 2,000 years of history. So you could say that Japan has been around for a long time. And the very first word of a soul is tamashi. And it's this idea that as a human, you have a body, a physical body and a soul. And that's really the traditional way that it's always been. And I bring this back to calligraphy because calligraphy is one of the three traditional arts and I've been practicing for about 20 years. And so I feel as though I could speak to this a little bit. Um, But in Japanese calligraphy, there is something what we call mushin. And mushin is where you have complete presence and you are free of all thoughts, all assumptions, and all prejudice. But it's actually a state where you focus on your soul, but you're completely present, which sounds a little bit difficult to understand and conceptualize, but the whole goal of that is that through the practice of doing these arts, you're able to understand what it means to live a intentional, holistic life. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so thinking about your question about when the Western, you know, in the states, when did this come to be? The closest I could think of is yoga. That's it. Yeah, I do think yoga was probably the first movement where, of course, it's about connecting with your body, but the whole goal of 
yoga is to really have that inner um, connection with your body and your soul. Right. Yeah. It's just to kind of cleanse, which I struggled with. <laughs> I went and did the hot yoga, which I guess is a little different. And uh, it's hard to let go sometimes of, of your mind and your thoughts and to be really present with your body and yourself and uh, in that moment. So that's that's a good one. I, I Yoga that didn't come to the top of my head. But yeah, that definitely I think would make sense um, to something to look at. But and I want to kind of stress the importance here of this can apply to everybody and individuals like this is something that everybody should be kind of looking at and doing to try to improve upon themselves as well. But specifically, Specifically in, in this episode, what I'd like to kind of bring it into as well is kind of the stresses that come from being a startup founder in specific or a founder of anything, high stress job as an executive, you know, whatever it might be in your life. But from a founder perspective, obviously you face a lot of challenges and you're well aware of this as well, where you feel like you got to do so many different things. Oh, if I take any time off, then I'm going to fall really far behind and I won't make money and we won't progress and this feature won't get pushed, you know, blah, 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 as it might be as well. So uh, what do you think some of those detriments can be from kind of that founder and that grind process if you don't take care of yourself and you don't take that time? You know, what type of problems do you think you could see yourself kind of leading down towards if you don't kind of take care of yourself there? Yeah. And I will say I am a founder myself. And so my heart goes out to every single founder because it really is a challenging you know, role that I really respect anyone that has either tries to and attempts to be a founder. It's a hard job. And I think what I think could be detrimental is that, you know, long term, you know, if you're in high amounts of stress, it, we know that it has physiological, you know, impact on your body. And we really want to pay attention when I work with, you know, founders or people who are in high stress situations is what is driving you every day. And, you know, at the vision of Mogami is where we imagine a world where everyone has an inner knowing of who they are. And it's really about the intrinsic values that need to drive your everyday decision-making and your lifestyle. And so I think as a founder, you know, you have a passion for what you do, of course, which is really important and beautiful. But at the same time, what we want to do is never forget to take care of yourself first in both a professional and personal life. So it really is about when you think holistically, it's of course about your physical well-being, your mental well-being, but also your personal life and your professional life. And so we really want to make sure that when you're assessing your lifestyle, it's with you as the center and not your job as a center. And I think that could go such a long way and improving outcomes within your your company, within your personal life as well. And, and so let's kind of dive into the solution now. Let's kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, what you're doing and what the Mogami Wellness Framework is, how it's kind of applied and, and what you kind of do with who you work with, whether that be startup founders directly or uh, individuals that, you know, just are trying to improve themselves on that front. So you've already kind of started talking about it a little bit as well. But uh, what is the Mogami Wellness Framework for people that don't know? 
This week's book recommendation is Brain Fuel. Supercharge your brain, improve memory, and lose weight eating genius foods. This is an interesting read about how important our diet is to the health of our brain and how we can feel throughout the day. And I think this book really matches up well with this episode because diet and nutrition are such an important part of brain function and the way that our body can respond to our own emotional well-being can be influenced by the foods that we eat. It's a great read that's very informative, and you can check it out today and learn all about the ways that you can fully optimize your diet to improve your overall brain health and mental well-being. Now, let's dive back into this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. The Mogami Wellness Framework is a Japanese wellness framework that's centered around longevity. And I know, Will, we talked about this a little bit earlier on where it talks about the daily lifestyles. So it's not really about the short-term approach to your well-being, but it's essentially four factors that you want to focus on in a daily aspect. So let's break down each, each of them briefly. So the first one is presence and mindfulness. So I did talk a, a little bit about this, but for the Mogami Wellness Framework, we use the three traditional arts as um, guiding principles because these have over 2,000 years of history and the principles of these arts are said to help us understand how to be present and more mindful in our lives. The second one is body and soul care. So like I mentioned, in Japan, each human has a body and a soul to take care of. And there's different factors that we want to consider for each body and soul care, but it's really about how can we make sure we're taking care of both when we're assessing our well-being. The third one is authenticity and wabi-sabi. I really think this is a important one because I think authenticity is a hot word topic right now and is, is used left and right. But I get a lot of clients that say, what does that mean? You know, what, what does that mean to be authentic? And in the Mogami Wellness Framework, we use this concept called wabi-sabi, which is this idea that nature is you know, the ultimate guide to be how you could be yourself. And it has three main principles. It is imperfect. It is impermanent. So it means it comes and goes. And then it's incomplete, meaning we are continuously evolving. And then the last concept is ikigai. And ikigai is the Japanese concept for reason for being or purpose. And it's not the Venn diagram that's um, commonly been communicated. It's actually more about taking daily actions that align with your authentic self. Yeah. And can you expand on that? Uh, the Venn diagram that's so popular as well that people are kind of like, oh, that sounds familiar when I think of it. And then just kind of what the, the, the exact differences are, because I do think a lot of people, you know, and myself included, get a little misconception on that. Yeah, absolutely. So the popular Ikigai Venn diagram is essentially saying that your purpose or your life reason for being is the intersection between what you love doing, what you get paid for, what you're good at, and what the world needs. Unfortunately, this is not Ikigai, uh, but <laughs> a Spanish astrologer's purpose model that was created by Andrew Susanaga, irrespective of Ikigai. And what looks to have happened is where there was a blogger named Mark Wynn, and he listened to a TED Talk by Dan Butner that talked about Japan and longevity. 
and they referred to this concept of Ikigai. He heard this concept and then he saw Andrew's purpose model and then he changed the words from purpose to Ikigai, wrote a blog about it, and the rest is history, essentially. Um, you know, now I think it's it's used as essentially the definition of what Ikigai is. Unfortunately, I say that this is harmful to the true definition of what Ikigai is because the Venn diagram narrows down your life's purpose to your profession. And that is not true. It's also not serving you because it almost tells you that what you love or your reason for being has to be your job. It has to make you money. And it's actually something that I think is constrictive versus Ikigai, the real definition, is is more expansive. That's a great point. And that's a very American thing to do to just go, oh, profession, everything work-related. It has to be work-related. You know, it's one thing you I hear when I go abroad or something. Oh, yeah, you guys always just ask what you do for work so fast in a conversation. I'm like, well, I wasn't aware of that until now. But, yeah, I guess so. Interesting. So that's that's really kind of fascinating to me as well when you kind of look at through that and, and the misconceptions with Ikigai and in addition to those four things as well. I mean, I think that those four pillars are really, really an interesting kind of way. Is, and what is kind of and I'd love to see kind of what that process looks like. So, for example, you know, how could a, a, so an individual uh, we will use a startup founder example in this high stress environment, feeling like I'm losing myself. I'm constantly kind of thinking externally, maybe not so much internally trying to work on, you know, my own well-being and things of that nature. Uh, how does that approach kind of look when, when they go to you in the Mogami Wellness Program and the framework that you teach? How does that kind of look to start and, and how do they apply that directly? Yeah, absolutely. So I always say there's three main levels that you could utilize. Uh, the first one is educate. So if you're curious to learn more about what Japanese wellness and Japanese way of living um you know, what it's about, uh, then there's a lot of free resources that we have on my website and as well as on our social media channels. And then there's also some online courses that I offer that go into a little bit more of, you know, what does it mean to be present? What is the real definition of Ikigai, for example? And the second one is more about, you know, integrate. So if you want to really learn more from a personal perspective, then you can do private coaching with me. So we do have a six-week program uh, when we first work together that's really about building that self-awareness that's within this Mogami wellness framework. And then the last one is really about taking a group approach to this, which I think is really powerful because when we think about, you know, companies and even as a founder, of course, it's a big part of our lives and it should be, and it really should align with what we, who we are and what we want to do. But, you know, back to, you know, we we're chatting earlier about how our phone just gives us so many notifications per day. Sometimes we have so much stimulus that's coming from external sources and we really don't have that time to be present and still for ourselves. And so in the group setting, what we do is we do group calligraphy mindfulness um, events. And this is really where we have a collective moment of being here, being present, disconnecting, and connecting together with ourselves as well as, you know, the company mission 
and culture. Yeah, God, that sounds that sounds great. It sounds fantastic. Lots of ways, and we're definitely going to talk more about ways people can get in contact with you to to start applying these principles here at the end as well. But one thing that kind of uh, stands out to me, and, and a question that I ask because I had this thought sometimes too, and and it was a wrong thought in my opinion. But some of the things, and I think some of the challenges, at least in the Western society, with it is because I feel like it's so new. For example, you go into this health and wellness, right, and it's spiritual and it's mindfulness. I, for example, have a very difficult time. So I would probably benefit from your from your teachings. I have a very difficult time kind of turning the brain off, right? And things of that nature as well. So like, how can you go about taking people who do struggle with that and maybe might be, I don't want to say against it, but kind of uh, speculative of things of that nature as well? And then how do you kind of bring that person in to kind of help go, hey, this is these are the benefits you're going to have. So if you stick with me, like these are some positive outcomes that are, might occur from this teaching and this framework. Yeah. And I think the skepticism is fair. You know, I think um, it's a very different approach. And so I think it's it makes sense that people are skeptical of certain ways of thinking. And so it's more about, I would ask each client, you know, there might be, there must be a reason why you're reaching out. Is it that, are you completely fulfilled with your life? And if the answer is yes, then there's no need to, you know, go through this program. But when I look at the you know, rising obesity rates across the world or the rise of, you know, mental health, we are not going in the right direction. And so if we look at that, then I think it's about where can we start? And I think, for example, using the arts is a great starting point because it's not necessarily, we're not talking about the soul. We're really trying something new with our you know, it's a cultural experience and that has nothing really to do with spirituality. It's more about learning something different, which I think is much more, I think, aligned with some of the mind versus, you know, us talking about spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime that you can challenge yourself, learn a new skill and learn more about culture, learning in general is fantastic for the mind. I mean, it's great for the brain. I I had a great grandmother who lived to about 97, 98, and she was uh, convinced that Scrabble was a big part of why she grew older because she'd study the dictionary and read and learn. Uh, You know, that's not based on any evidence, of course, but, you know, she had that mental wealth, uh, that that mental thought for a long time and that wit, quick wittedness. But I think you you said a couple of things too. Uh, You know, for me, when I think about it, it's because I feel like so many more people should benefit from it. But I think in, in Western culture, people get cringed out maybe sometimes about how, you know, oh, I should be at one with myself and, you know, really thinking and trying to improve. And, you know, you get thought caught like we talked about in your phone, you know, and notifications and everything that's external. And and now, now, now I need some gratification. I don't want to work on it. So I find it interesting because clearly in Japan and in other countries as well, where it's talked about a little bit more, the longevity factor rises. You know, there's less obesity and we don't have all these bad mental health statistics. They don't have as many mental health statistics that are as negative as, as you know, some in America's and, and in other Western parts. So I think that that's an, an interesting kind of thing on that. And, and would you say that within the last, well, certainly since you've started your work within the last few years, but just observing uh, as a citizen as well, uh, would you say that this, the trend is kind of getting bucked on the Western side and that people are starting to become a a lot more open to the idea of it? The pandemic probably was a big wake-up call for everyone, including myself. You know, I think we went through, and we are still going through, I think in many ways, two years of a collective 
experience of high stress. And I think we are still going to see the aftermath of it play out in the coming years. But it was almost as if it was a forced pause. And I think I've seen such a big movement within organizations and leaders having to have these conversations, which I feel as though was not previously if it wasn't for, you know, a pandemic. And so I think it was probably a really important moment for us to not go back to our default, but really try to change our default. And that includes your mental well-being, uh, but also, you know, sustainability and working with the environment, which is something that, you know, even at Mogami, we talk about forest bathing, which is this concept that spending time in nature has physiological health benefits for us. And so it's really about working with mother nature to go back to how we could take care of ourselves. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, what are some of the specific really great benefits that you get from being out in nature and, and in, in, in an environment like that? Yeah, so forest bathing or shininyoku is a term that was coined in Japan. And it was actually um, started in, 19, in the 2000s as a program by the government um, because they were trying to provide an ecological-friendly way for people to improve their health. And so they did an experiment, essentially, and research found that it lowers blood pressure, it increases our immune system, and it also helps us think more clearly. So it has some mental health benefits as well. And what's amazing about this is that it's completely free. You know, I think that's one of my favorite facts because I also think that there's this idea that to be healthy, you have to buy X things and this program. And that's not necessarily true. And simply spending time in nature, taking a walk that you are fully mindful and you're paying attention using your five senses can have health benefits for you that are both physical and mental. And so those are a few key things that I think if there is one thing that I think people can implement in their lives today is to implement some forest bathing. Forest bathing, go outside, relax, use those five senses and get all the the, the benefits as well. That's fantastic. Um, how can, for example, a company, I know that you work with businesses sometimes and things of that nature as well. So within that kind of mindset and whatnot, if you're working with the founder, for example, what are some ways that they can implement the Mogami Wellness Program within their own company and kind of create that as, as part of their own company culture to kind of align that kind of personal well-being and apply that to the company so that's sustainable and the company has that mindfulness going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's various strategies for companies to implement you know, well-being. And I think that's something that is probably being discussed among companies right now. You know, is it where we incorporate in employee benefits? Is it where we include it in our lunch and learns? Is it where we have learning and development? And so, you know, at Mogami, we really do work with companies and founders to really find the right approach. But, you know, examples of that could be something as simple as, as you know, I do speaking opportunities where we talk about these concepts. Uh, we also do these um, leadership enablement sessions where we incorporate some of the Japanese calligraphy classes and mindfulness approaches to 
help you be present because at the end of the day, you know, I think for founders and for companies, what's important to consider is that, you know, the leaders that you work with are great at their job. You know, you hired them because they're very talented. They know how to run a team and do the job. But right now, I think it's a moment where we're not able to focus due to what we've been talking about. And so the Mogami Wellness Framework is really there to, as an implementation strategy to help bring back the focus for the founders, for your team, so that they can take a little bit of a deep breath be with themselves and be able to do their job. Yeah, it's, it's like what we kind of talked about earlier too. I think the outcomes are going to be more positive if you're not just singularly focused only about your job and what you're doing and your work, right? I mean, if you're taking that time to be content, you know, and, and satisfied and happy and stuff like that, you're going to get better outcomes on that front. And I'd love to hear some of the feedback you're getting from the people since you've started, the people that you work with, the clients, specifically maybe some of the clients that that come on and when you ask like, hey, are you content with your life? And they're like, but I guess I didn't really realize I wasn't, you know, and then they kind of work with you and, and whatnot. I'd love to hear some of the feedback and, and some of the stories that you've gotten from clients. Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. I think um, there's such a wide range of people that, you know, come as clients and, you know, you have the skeptics and I think, uh, they, the thing is they're very talented. They're very intellectual. They, they, but they're also curious. So it's about like, you know, once you learn about how it's about teaching a different way of thinking and it's really, you can make it an intellectual exercise. And I think they go through it with healthy Dell but it's really through the experience and practicing it that, you know, people can understand that, oh, perhaps it's, you know, the soul doesn't have to be something as abstract or something as spiritual. Because um, what I really try to do is break it down in a very logical way. So, you know, for example, the soul, uh, you know, I simply say it's about connection. As social animals, we seek connection. And we have three main longings for connection, which is yourself, your community, and nature, and the environment. So when we talk through it, then it goes from skepticism to an eventual, you know, understanding that it's something that can be implemented in their daily lives. And so I think that's probably the most common feedback that we get is that you know, they think that it's something like, oh, do I have to go to Japan to get, you know, experience this? And <laughs> the answer is no, really. You know, it's about how can you learn, educate yourself and then integrate it into your current existing lifestyle to make it more achievable. It's adaptable. It's flexible on that front, too. And, and I think it's something like, sure, you know, I, I made that or asked that question earlier kind of about people who might be a little bit more skeptical as a whole. And, and I just mean that in general, too, specifically. I just think in Western culture, we're a little or I shouldn't say Western culture because, I, I you know, I haven't lived in the UK long enough or anything like that to be to speak on behalf of some of the other countries, but in Europe and Australia, but in America specifically, I think we're slow to change. I think we're slow to adaptation. I think we're seeing that change now. Well, maybe not on the, the, the business side of things, but in the personal well-being, I think we're slow to adapt and we're always a little skeptic of other ideas. And I think the Japanese and what you're teaching uh, with this Mogami Wellness Framework is something that most people could really benefit from. And I think it's something that clearly has legs over in Japan. And, and I think it's great that you're able to just kind of 
explore this with clients and bring that over to people in the UK and then in people in the US as well. So I think that that's really an important part of it. And on that note, I would love to ask you just kind of how you see the future lining up for this, because as, as I mentioned, I'm seeing much more people, Instagram, whatever it might be, getting more into kind of this holistic well-being and life's not all about going to work from nine to five and coming home and watching TV and complaining about your life and then doing the same thing the next day and getting a little bit of briefness from your kids or something. Right. So um, what do you see in the future um, and how this kind of will progress, whether it's through the Mogami Wellness Framework or other avenues of becoming uh, more self-aware and more content with yourself? How do you see that kind of uh, evolving over the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years? I'm very optimistic. And meaning, I think that we have all been given an opportunity with the pandemic to take a moment of pause. And now I think there's a lot of liberation in the sense of we all get to choose. I think there is a a really strong movement in being able to choose what kind of life you want to live. You know, the fact that, you know, digital nomads, um, be companies that are more digital centric, uh, you know, there is this idea of being a multi-hyphen where you're not just, you don't have one corporate career, you could have multiple. And so I think the possibilities are growing for individuals to really think back and create a life that they want to live that's beyond their professional life, but also their personal life, because it's about, again, it's human-centric and it's taking you as the center of how you want to live your life. So I do see a big movement there. I've also seen a really strong movement in taking care of the planet, which I think is really important. And I know well, you have had great guests that talk about sustainable approaches and businesses, and I think that's amazing. And I also think that, you know, my hope is that people realize that their well-being and their lifestyle has to be sustainable, both for the planet, but also for their health and well-being. And it should be working with nature as well. So I think those are the two things that I see as trends that I hope people um, grasp, but also understand that with a lot of decisions and opportunities, it could also be confusing. So I think if people are scared or if people are confused with how to proceed, I think that's a completely normal feeling to have. And so it's about really coming together as a community and working with each other to support this new way of living. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. Well, get out and do a fourth bathing, right? Go out there and, and really get in there and get in touch with it. And then the sustainability will start to click a little bit more. And now you're getting a whole nother benefit in addition to all the mental health stuff and, and the greatness and the five senses. So I think that's kind of wonderful on that front as well. And just kind of moving forward for you, you mentioned this just briefly um, about kind of tips and you can implement that into your life as well. I know that you had mentioned this earlier, but uh, you actually on your website at Mogami, MogamiWellness.com, you have some free resources so that people can learn more about this and download because I'm sure people still have a, quite a lot of questions. And, and it's a really interesting kind of framework that I think deserves to be kind of uh, learned a little bit more for people. 
I want to take a quick time out to talk about life expectancy in both Japan and the U.S. today. So when we take a look at life expectancy by country in the rankings, Japan currently is ranked number two right now with a life expectancy of 85.03. Just Hong Kong is ranked higher, 85.29. The female life expectancy is 88.09 years, with the males expected to live to 81.91 years. Again, ranking second overall. For the U.S., they are ranked 46th with 79. 9.11 being the expected life expectancy, 81.65 for women and 76.61 for men. And you might be wondering, what are the differences? Well, number one is diets. According to international.com they say that the Japanese diet is much higher in carbohydrates, but has very less processed foods and a diet low in saturated fat. What they also find is that lifestyle that the older population enjoys. They stay active more common in Japan and they work by choice rather than economic necessity as well. And spirituality seems to be more important to the people of Japan, something that we've talked about a lot in this episode as well. And that leads to a healthier attitude to life, community, and family as they are more involved with, with, of course, regular exercise in there too. The key, of course, being moving. So really interesting stats there on that front that I found. The U.S., of course, had a decline in life expectancy from 2019 to 20 and to 2021. It was the lowest that it had been since 1996 and the largest one-year decline, 19 to 20, since World War II. Obviously, a lot of that driven by the pandemic, which, of course, was a terrible, terrible issue that we had globally across the world. But drug overdose deaths also uh, accounted for over one third of all unintentional injury deaths as well in the U.S. as 2021 saw an unprecedented amount of overdose deaths than any time in the past. So some very interesting numbers there. Just wanted to take a little bit of time to share that. So let's dive back into this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. Learn more about Mogami Wellness. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a free Ikigai guide where we break down what Ikigai really means. And then I also do have a YouTube channel and then all the socials that provide a lot of free resources into more of a deep dive into all of these concepts. And, um, you know, I think I know it can be intimidating when it's completely something new. So, you know, I just hope that people come in with a curious set of eyes. Um, you know, if you have any questions, you know, we could always do a deep dive. You could, my email's on there. You could reach out to me as well. So um, that would be my, uh, my tip in terms of starting out. Yeah. And, and then once they get that more information and they're like, all right, so Ori's onto something here. I really want to learn this. I want to apply this to my life. Uh, you offer what three services, correct? You have uh, courses and then you have group coaching you mentioned earlier. And then of course, the one-on-one. -on -one. That's exactly right. Well, awesome. And then people can just reach out to you via the website, social media uh, or anything of that nature. Exactly. Yep. You could go to MogamiWellness.com. Awesome. MogamiWellness.com. If you're a company, a startup founder, you can start implementing this and things of that nature as well. Set up some speaking and, and really kind of turn that uh, company into something that's going to be a little bit more fulfilling for everybody. Not that your startup is not fulfilling, but you know what I mean? Uh, can be always a little bit more that you can do for the employees and things of that nature as well. And so or is there anything else that you would like to, to kind of add to this conversation that you feel like maybe we missed or, or that you'd like to address? No, I think it's been a great conversation. Well, I I guess the only thing that pops up for me is that I just hope people understand and acknowledge from themselves that everyone is probably doing a lot. And it really starts with this idea of self-awareness and 
being kind to yourself, which I think as founders, I know myself, I always feel like I have to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I don't really take the moment to pause and reflect on everything that I've done so far. So, you know, the moment there is such strength in taking a moment to pause and appreciate everything you've done so far. So I think that's something that I just hope everyone does. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like bullet journals or journals in general on that note? Because that's something that I use to try to remind myself. And I was having this conversation the other day with a friend where, you know, when you work for yourself and stuff, you're measuring your own success all the time. And as a human, psychologically, we always want more, even if we have a lot. Right. And so it's always something about context for me. Um, So what's what are some tips, you know, to get people that they can remind themselves like, hey, you are doing well. You know, you're always going to have things that you want more and that you're striving for. But you know, take a second, reflect and and kind of move forward. What tips would you have for, for those people? Yes, that's amazing that you have a bullet journal. You know, I think a few other ideas that I have is that you could, you know, do a gratitude journal, you know, just ending or starting the day with three things that you're grateful for. Another idea I have is I always set intentions for the day. And this is something that is really important to me. And so what you do is every morning you set a clear intention of what you want to focus on for that day. And while it can be task oriented, um, which I think is a pretty natural inclination, what I would encourage people to do is try to find something that's more intrinsic. So it's not external. So I think that's something that's really helpful. And then my last tip is to clearly define what success means to you. I think clarity is the key to making sure that you feel fulfilled. And for example, in the field of entrepreneurship, I think the odds are against us. But I always think it depends on the definition. So for me, for example, my definition of the success is that if I can truly say to myself that I gave it my all and I was able to learn something and I was true to myself and the company mission, then that is a successful company and a successful day. So every day I have this mantra and I reflect back on it. And that's something that I think is, is really powerful when you have that clarity. Yeah. Define what is success to you, right? Like what, how would you define success? And then kind of going from there, I think is really important instead of measuring yourself up against others at times. So it's wonderful stuff. So Ori, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed the conversation, learning more about the Mogami wellness framework and, and learning more just overall uh, about Ikigai and all these practices that can lead to better kind of outcomes, positive outcomes and better well-being. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That is the founder of Mogami Wellness, Ori Okada, joining us here on the Talking Solutions a podcast. You can find more information as mentioned before at mogamiwellness.com. That's M-O-G-A-M-I wellness.com and you can get tons of free resources available there and then also get in touch with her for services on that note as well you can also follow on social media as well on instagram uh, mentioned youtube so make sure you follow there to get some more great content on that front and uh, really be able to apply that to your lives today whether you're an individual whether you're a startup founder or whatever it is that you may do you most certainly can benefit from learning a little bit more uh, to kind of help find your Uh, authentic wellness, if you will, and whatnot. So that's going to wrap up this edition of the Talking Solutions podcast. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review, drop five stars, whatever it might be, and then follow us 
on social media and then of course subscribe to our newsletter but until next time uh, i hope you all have a great rest of your week thanks for listening to the talking solutions podcast tune in every wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com that's c-h-e-s-h-t-e-c-h.com to learn more As we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talkin' Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talkin' Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.